there are a lot of positive things happening and these are not reported enough so that you know you know people don't really feel very uh, motivated to maybe support Myanmar. I think this still needs to discuss in a more articulative manner and you know it is not just about digital rights but it's much more on about you know the, the Myanmar and you know and what's happening on the ground. everybody and welcome to Pretty Good Podcast, Digital Rights in the Asia-Pacific with Engage Media. My name is Red. And I'm Sarah. Civil society has just commemorated the second anniversary of the military coup in Myanmar. And in this episode of Pretty Good Podcast, we will tackle the updates to that issue and issues happening right now under the military dictatorship, as well as how digital rights activists both working in and on Myanmar continue to address these issues. And finally, how the international community can further support these efforts. And without further ado, here is the episode. Our guest today is Taik Taik Ong, who has done significant work in advocating for internet freedom, policy advocacy, and other human rights. She is the lead curator of the Myanmar Internet Project that tracks developments in the Myanmar digital space and documents digital rights violations since the 2021 military coup. She is also the founder and executive director of Myanmar ICT for Development Organization, MIDO, one of the leading digital rights organizations in Myanmar, and also ran Myanmar's most popular fact-checking initiative, Real or Not, between 2015 and 2021. Welcome to Pretty Good Podcast, Taik Taik. Hi, uh, thank you for um, inviting me to be here. Yes, and thank you for being here, Taik Taik. Red has just uh, done a laundry list of your many accomplishments and projects, but um, could you tell us more about the Myanmar Internet Freedom Project, as this is, I believe, your newest initiative? So after the coup, um, we can see that the digital space uh, plays a, a very big role in terms of um, the revolution site and also a space where um, the military um, um, was um, oppressing it. So we see a lot of, um, um, you know, the side of the digital space uh, when the coup happened. So we started tracking um, and getting a lot of the um, um, violations of human rights that's related to the digital issue. So we had we had done this um, digital coup um, documentation, and and after that we decided that we wanted it um, to be um, public and um, be usable by primarily um, audiences such as the media, the academics, and researchers. So we had that digital coup documentation, put it up online. And at the same time, um, we also wanted to curate um, resources around um, digital rights issues relating to Myanmar. So we, we also had a library um, where, you know, scholars, researchers, journalists who are interested to keep up with um, the digital rights researchers to be a one-stop place where they can actually search for information and so on and so forth. And also to become an outlet where the digital rights 
activists and researchers can also publish their work. So it's an initiative which came up from the idea of curating and um, putting up a lot of you know dashboards around digital rights and digital coup in Myanmar that will be useful for the broader audience. Yes. Thank you so much, Taik Taik. And we will be sure to add relevant links to the description of this podcast episode so people can access those resources. We have interviewed someone um, about the issue in Myanmar in a previous episode of PGP. Um, this is um, with Waypio um, Access Now's Myanmar lead. And this was regarding internet shutdowns, the telecommunication sales to the military junta um, of Telenor, for example. Are there any updates on the internet shutdowns and the cybersecurity law in particular? Right. Um, um, first of all, um, Waypio um, is a very good friend. We have been working together in around uh, Myanmar digital rights issues for more than you know five years. And uh, relating to the internet shutdowns in Myanmar, um, I mean, Myanmar is not a stranger to internet shutdowns because if I'm not wrong, um, we are one of the countries where um, oppressive governments uh, weaponized shutdowns as uh, as for political reasons. So it, it was in, you know, 20, uh, 2007 when the Safran Revolution in Myanmar happened. And at that time, the military junta had um, shut down the internet um, for a few weeks. Uh, and it was, you know, you know, I think uh, one of the first internet shutdowns for political motivation. After that, in uh, last, um, the NLD government, uh, the um, especially Rakhine and Chin state in the country were under shutdown for more than a year. So, you know, the internet shutdowns um, were really weaponized by various, um, various, you know, you know, uh, governments and dictators that we had seen. And I mean, after the coup, um, the internet shutdown continued. So uh, uh, when the coup started, it started with the internet shutdown. Um, it started as a whole countrywide shutdown and then later continued to different types of shutdowns such as um, internet curfews and uh, region-specific internet shutdowns and internet shutdowns for different various um, e uh, event space as well. So, um, so we had been documenting internet shutdowns and together with uh, one of our digital rights um, organization in Myanmar called Athen. So, um, so from our documentation, uh, as of next month, uh, Myanmar will have over 50 townships with, um, with, without internet for 500 days already. So that's a lot of um, regions which is impacted by internet shutdowns. So yes, internet shutdown is, is, is a very um, um, uh, big challenge for us at the moment. And then that includes also um, so that's that's on the shutdown part, and also on the um, cybercrime law. Um, when the coup started, um, as my colleague will mention, um, a few weeks later, the um, the military um, introduced a draft cybercrime law, and and it includes provisions which which will criminalize a lot of our um, our. Um, um, expression, political expression online. It wasn't um, enacted, but then uh, a few months ago, another second draft came out, and that worries us more because in that uh, draft law, there are provisions that could criminalize even when we are uh, using, uh, you know, tools such as VPNs. And in Myanmar, VPNs 
are not an option. It's a mandatory tool because a lot of the uh, main uh, main platforms that the Myanmar public is using, such as Facebook, is actually uh, banned and censored by the military. So you know, to continue for people to you know use that platform, they have to use VPN, and it's like you know saying that you know nobody is safe. You know anybody can get into jail. So that cybercrime draft law is there and it hasn't been enacted, but because it hasn't been enacted, doesn't mean that we will, people will not be charged because um, after the military coup, there are very no, no existence of rule of law. And even when that uh, draft law came out, um, we've been uh, hearing from the grounds that in the checkpoints, people were harassed to show their phones and people were asked to pay fine or bribe when you know, VPNs installed. So even a draft law was causing a lot of uh, fear and also a lot of corruptions uh, on the ground as well. So um, if that cybercrime law did really get to be um, implemented and enacted, it's going to be a hayfire. But even if it's not at this case, it's a draft law yet, but still the consequences and the impact is still very big. These seem to be very tough challenges, especially if you are an activist, if you are an advocate of human rights in Myanmar. Um, can you tell us a bit about how people circumvent these restrictions, how they strategize around this, or is um, internet advocacy in Myanmar just um, at a standstill right now? It has been a lot of uh, challenges for, you know, the activists, the mainly people on the ground, because um, the internet remains the main uh, communication, not only a communication channel, but also a channel for the resistance movement. When the military started um, um, using violence to crack down peaceful protesters in on the ground, so you know the internet medium uh, become one that you know the activist communities, the pro -revo the revolution uh, the revolution movement had to resort to when uh, the the on the ground movement was no longer safe. When the military started using violence to crack down peaceful. Uh, protesters. So, so there's a big whole movement around resistance, revolution online, as well as the whole parallel government using this medium to operate. And then the whole, um, you know, uh, fundraising around these revolutions are are actually operated online as well. So this online movement, the military have also um, resorted to different tactics of oppressing you know the movement and the whole uh, revolutionary uh, movement on the platform by using different tactics such as internet shutdown surveillance and and you're trying to laws and so on and so forth so we are actually starting to see that so um so the way that we uh, the activists try to uh, mitigate um these challenges um varies right for instance uh for internet shutdowns i mean we do have very little uh, mitigation strategies that we can use to actually bypass internet shutdown because it is more of an infrastructure problem. And the other alternative communications are either expensive or it's it's not really viable and uh, ex uh, expendable. We actually face the biggest um, challenges around that. And on the aspect of uh, protecting um, our digital footprints uh, it's um, it's it's much more um, um, easier to be to to have mitigations 
then internet shut down. So we see that after the coup, um, one silver lining is people become really aware of their digital safety and also the issues around digital rights. So um, people has been resorting to uh, more encrypted platforms, trying to like diversify their use of platforms because previously in Myanmar, we are a very Facebook country, Facebook focused country. People rarely, you know, use other platforms. But after the coup, people started to resort to different type of platforms for security reasons or for like disseminating messages. So we have people um, becoming much more aware and uh, move on to more encrypted and secure platforms. And 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 of course, that doesn't um, really um, protect us to the max because of like for instance uh we now um um with the tel with the sale of national telecom sector in Myanmar, recent incidents of the telenor and oridu being out um we can actually say that the military will have full um full control over the um the datas and the communications and the locks of these uh, telecoms. So in the future, it will be much more easier for the military to you know, triangulate the activists and the resistance community, revolution community. So there has to be like a risk mitigation uh, being uh, done on that level as well. So right now, apart from trying to, you know, um, use burner phones, trying to use uh, unregistered SIMs, um there there isn't um a lot that uh that can be done because it's more on you know on the infrastructure level but but um but at the same time the awareness levels and the tech um savviness of activists has have definitely risen um speaking of tech savviness i wanted to ask actually the challenges that you as a digital rights advocate and your know, fellow digital rights advocates advocates face in communicating the importance of digital safety and security to other fellow activists because there are many activists who you prior to that prior to this may not have seen the importance or have committed the time to actually learn of these technicalities so how has your experience there been like so in the past people think that they have the luxury to choose between convenience and security and of course, many will choose convenience, you know, because there's no like in imminent or immediate um, harm that rigs or they see. But after the coup, this mindset change. People, uh, people, I mean, on first hand, they are experiencing um, um, a lot of like digital related rigs. So previously, I mean, we were very vocal in uh, advocating for. Um, advocating against internet shutdown uh, but after the coup because you know everybody was you know everybody was um uh, the internet shutdown was affected to the country so people are frustrated people become aware so after the coup it's much more easier to convince people to um to to, to use um much more like encrypted and digital safety tools and tactics like this but at the same time uh, I mean, using tools and tactics will be only um, securing for a certain amount of uh, precaution measure, right? For the people in, on the ground, they need burner phones uh, to actually operate much more securely. You know, they need phones when they go out, they need 
you know, phones when they are working, they need like to keep different identities, but then that needs uh, support and funding to, you know, actually ensure this level of safety is, um, is available to them. So not only the tools, but then uh, another uh, mitigation strategy, such as providing these people with, uh, you know, equipments and, you know, are also um, in need. And then, and then another problem is um, because, like I mentioned, VPN are no longer an option; it's a mandatory. So people has to use VPN, and there are a lot of VPNs available, of course, which are free. But then, you know, with, but then the safety uh, of these VPNs we cannot ensure them so people need really secure vpns um, which are really vouched by the digital rights community so so we see them are like either paid vpns or you know vpns which are vouched by the community so you know availability of this safer um alternative vpns are also much needed so uh from time to time i'm not from time to time okay uh, always receive requests from the people on the ground that um, they need um, safe VPs to do work and and for for the, for us to you know um, give them this we need to have you know access to you no know, codes and all of these VPNs available that we could support them as well so so that's another part and another one which is much more um, bigger huddle for us is like I mentioned of course the internet shutdown because it's a much more infrastructure based problems and and uh, alternatives such as satellite internets are very expensive and you know it's not a viable option and and maybe like some some activists who are on the borders are operating on the borders such as Thai Bangladesh or China might might have access to the internet there the, the the affected region like the whole big region in central Myanmar really have very little alternative so this this issues around internet shutdowns is not something that you know we can actually uh, come up to a solution in a I mean at least not not now you have mentioned neighboring countries and the broader region in general and I was wondering if you had any insights about what's happening in other countries like in Cambodia, for example, where the prime minister has ordered the shutdown of Voice of Democracy. And of course, this trend has been going on um, for a long time. Um, apart from the trend, I was also wondering about how these authoritarian governments or governments with authoritarian tendencies have helped each other and copied from each other's playbooks. Like, for example, um, in Myanmar, um, are they getting help? from places like, let's say, China to circumvent people's circumvention of surveillance, uh, for example. Um, do you have any insights into this, Taik Taik? Well, um, I mean, in, in terms of um, other countries, uh, I might have limited information, but we know that the our Southeast Asia region, I mean, in the past, it used to have a very, I mean, in, for the for the you know government level, there's this um, ASEAN where you know they this where it's a platform for actually governments to exchange you know a lot of um, like you know tactics and 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 you know so on and so forth. So we actually do see like for instance um, like you know uh, anti fake news laws you know being passed around um, frequently 
and then we are looking at you know um you know how um um surveillance technologies are being like implemented in in different countries um as well so 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 on the on the asean level on the southeast asia country level we are, we do see a lot of um similarities we do see a lot of exchange around policies tools and tactics and then but at the same time of course we also have a very close that um, civil societies, which are trying to, you know, mitigate a lot of um, risks that come associated with that. And in terms of um, neighboring countries like China um, and Russia from Myanmar, um, they have been really um, supporting the military for a very long time. And we can see that, you know, uh, China has been um, has been um, providing um, providing technologies. China, on the on the other hand, they are very uh, pretty, you know, well known for being um, very um, big around censorships. So this type of technologies um, will, of course, will flow over into Myanmar as well as uh, around surveillance technologies as well. So in terms of surveillance technology, we see that you know we see that Myanmar has been adopting it even before the coup, uh, and because Myanmar at that time was trying to set up, you know, smart cities and, you know, with smart cities um, that, you know, there will be a lot of, you know, surveillance, you know, cameras, you know, uh, tools like databases and so on and so forth. So even during the pre-coup, we were particularly worried because we don't have a good um, data protection law. We don't have a good, um, you know, legal uh, regulations around protecting. But after the coup, the surveillance, uh, surveillance uh, deployment around uh, major cities in Myanmar is what we are seeing which is really a lot of the on the ground works and of course you know this technology surveillance you know will come will flow in from like countries like China as well and 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 yeah uh, I mean for for it goes the same for you know Russia because you know Russia Myanmar you know has been working uh, very closely so uh, I have no doubt that you know um, Myanmar will be like military will be benefiting from from that from that relationship regarding to you know the digital techs and tools. Taik Taik, thank you for sharing that, and it is definitely frightening to think about the ways that governments can exchange types of technologies and tactics, especially in this climate where we're also all coming. Uh, from a global pandemic and where many of these tactics and threats to human and digital rights can be sustained or even weaponized further following that. But I want to go back actually to a point you earlier made about how it's not just the governments who are experiencing the same things. It's also on the other side of it, uh, activists from our region also experiencing the same kinds of attacks. Um, and uh, to varying degrees, different kinds of the weaponization of the law and so on and so forth. So with that in mind, we'd like to hear from you about your own firsthand experience uh, with these types of tactics. So you, in your line of work, I'm sure that there are, that it has been difficult to say the least and also very challenging to continue your advocacy in these times. For you know, for the case of Myanmar, um, I mean, in the past, um, the the digital rights uh, community has been vocal in in advocating for um, laws, regulations, 
and, and policies. Um, so we've been very vocal around the infamous telecom law, the Article 6060, which, uh, which had put um, many people behind bars and which has charged people under criminal, uh, you know, criminal laws of them voicing online. So we had uh, worked on that. We had worked on privacy-related uh, laws. But then after the coup, it's it's much more challenging for us because um, the military is no longer, um, I mean, viable for us to engage in, uh, engage in any way relating to advocacy. So um, we have not uh, been able to um, able to like um, engage in um, advocacy to directly to the military, but we have been very vocal in trying to analyze laws that came out. Like for instance, for the cybercrime law, um, the civil society, the digital rights community has been very vocal in trying to provide awareness to the broader civil society that what are what this kind of uh, laws entail, what can be, what can happen and what can people do to uh, make themselves safe. So we have been trying to do that. And then our advocacy effort also shift around to like international, um, you know, international um, mechanism and also um, towards, you know, the platforms as well, like for instance, Facebook, YouTube and so on and so forth. So yeah, we have we had changed a lot of our tactics in terms of um, advocacies for the past for, for the past two years. Yes. Thank you, Taik Taik. You have shared so much about the context about what's happening in Myanmar, the challenges that you are facing, as well as what advocates and activists have been doing to address the issues. But if things continue the way they have been, what are your prospects um, for the future? Do you think things are starting to get better? Is it getting worse? Um, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, <laughs> the future is bleak <laughs> because, you know, what we see, what we hear, what we know, um, there is very little um, things to celebrate about. Um, so, and, you know, and we are seeing, like, for instance, on the digital rights part, um, the militaries, uh, is you know uh, is um, coming up with more um, sophisticated tactics in terms of surveillance and and you know profiling and all these things. So we know that this is you know the military themselves is trying to uh, have more um, leverage over this kind of tools. So we see that you know it's going to be harder and harder for um, for us to try to mitigate the risks. And then uh, and then uh, so so yeah, and uh, I mean it's. I mean, at the same time, uh, you know, the um, the community has never been become closer because <clears throat> with the coup, um, you know, we have been um, working together much more closely. You know, I mean, in the past, we worked a lot on the digital rights um, community, but after the coup, we have we engage with much more broader community because, you know, there 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 are a lot of things that you know we can support as a digital rights community, and then you. You know there are also like contacts and other other um other things that 
you know we could um, we could gather from the community in order to you know help us do much more better risk mitigation features so there has been very good like community level engagement there has been very good um, civil societies level engagement not only locally but also in the in the context of you know um, regionally and internationally as well so so we see that as a, a positive uh, thing and then uh, I mean, and then yeah, so so there's very little to celebrate about. But um, the civil society has been very close. People has been working closely, and I hope that you know, um, yeah, this can continue. And yeah, the fight for democracy is a long, long road ahead. But it's also um, what is happening with the community in terms of um, gathering together for support is something that we should indeed strive for and to continue to make it sustainable, um, hopefully even after um, this crisis has uh, ended. And speaking of that uh, tight-knit community, um, from uh, our listeners who are also members of this community or who want to be involved, what are, from your end, are the immediate needs of civil society organizations working on uh, working in Myanmar and also for Myanmar's democracy. Uh, right. So uh, <clears throat> I mean, in terms of you know um, um, the um, um, you know the the communities um, like you know engage media and you know <clears throat> and and this um, um, our digital rights community on the. Um, on the regional and international, I mean, um, the, the immediate needs that we have is one thing is, um, I mean, when we when the coup started happening, um, we received a lot of attention, we received a lot of support from various fronts. Uh, but then as time goes by, because we are right now in the you know year two of this resistance, and we might not pop up in the media or the front page anymore like before, but that doesn't mean that you know we are actually um, becoming better. You know things are things are you know going on a no, it just means that we are not getting as enough attention, you know, as we need, because of course, you know, there are various uh, others, world um, um, con conflicts and incidents that are that 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 come on the front page. So we we I mean we need this kind of we need the same kind of support that we have uh, since the coup started because the the situation has actually become much more worse. So for instance, you know. Um, for instance, uh, when the coup started, um, you know, we we have a lot of you know fund. We have a lot of needs and things around, you know, providing this, um, you know, uh, uh, communities with, for instance, you know, uh, phones and you know all sorts of like uh, risk mitigation. But then right now, it's it's actually very much more limited. We have to find, you know, to you know how to support support the people on. So this time, I mean. At this time, I mean, the support is still needed. It's just that it, is, it didn't come up on the front page as, as much as well. So I think this needs to be acknowledged. I mean, uh, we, I mean, we need continued advocacy front and, you know, to international human rights mechanisms and platforms and so on and so forth. We need to work more on that front as well. And, and then another one is, of course, you know, this is not just to civil societies, but also to the international community that, you know, the, the, the sham election that the military is hope, going to do, hoping to do is some 
it's a it's a pathway that they thought that they will be trying to legitimate themselves. So in you know the cities, broader regional, international, the communities should also, you know, help you know help us not to acknowledge the sham election as you know, in any way that they can. Thank you very much, uh, Taik Taik. I, I really like um, your pointing out the fact that even though what's happening in Myanmar isn't the top of the news cycles as it used to be, it doesn't mean that um, there are no more problems in Myanmar. In fact, it's quite the opposite as you have shared with us. This particular point is something that um, maybe you would like to add to. We have discussed a number of issues uh, this situation has been going on for two years, and I'm interested, what other points do you think not enough people are paying attention to? So uh, um, in these interviews, in these conversations, what's something that you wish more people would ask so that you could um, point out these things that are um, less known or less understood? Yes, so um, for people who are not really close, watching around issues in Myanmar might think that it's a messy place where it's very, you know, hard to intervene, you know. But then, but then, I mean, it's, I mean, we, of course, we don't have a simple narrative to cater that kind of audience, but it doesn't mean that, you know, um, the resistance are not, um, are not, you know, um, are not um, doing what they could. I mean, there's actually a lot of things happening on the ground, and there are a lot of things that happened um, that on, on 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 our side, on the resistance side, that we could celebrate on. And of course, there are you know um, things that didn't actually um, come as an agreement even to the same people. But that doesn't mean that you know this is not going ahead, and this is not you know uh you know positive but you know but I, I just wanted to you know ref, you know reflect on the fact that um the 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 things happening in Myanmar on the ground there is no simple narrative available but but and because it's not really reported in a in a you know in in way as you know um other um conflicts happening because you know strategically you know Myanmar is not for for instance like like Ukraine for 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 example but that doesn't mean that we are not um having positive outcomes there are already very good positive outcomes that we see in the resistant forces that we never seen before like for instance in the case around you know um um um, the Rohingya issues it's it's become much more you know aware and acceptable for um you know for more people unlike before and there there is you know there is other things that happen like for instance a federal charter which, which is you know written by this res this resistance forces that didn't actually couldn't happen if you know if if i mean if the situation is like before so there are a lot of positive things happening and these are not reported enough so that you know you know people don't really feel very uh, motivated to maybe support Myanmar in 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 some ways, right? So I think this still needs to like discuss in a more um, articulative manner. And you know, it is not just about digital rights, but it's much more on about you know the the Myanmar and you know and what's happening on the ground. So yeah. And thank you so much for pointing that out, Taik Taik. So for our listeners, may this serve as either a jumping off point or an addendum to all the 
things that you can read about and learn about in Myanmar and just understanding these issues and reading about them I'm sure is already beneficial to helping spread Myanmar's story and uh, also contributing your support especially if you were able to share it with others in your community and Taik Taik Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. I know it's not um, the easiest thing to do given uh, circumstances, but know that we in the uh, civil society communities here um, in the Asia Pacific really appreciate your bravery for being here with us today. So thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us today. The very first time we met Taik Taik was at the Myanmar Digital Rights Forum. And that, that was quite a different time. People were celebrating uh, internet access, digital rights, and so on. Fast forward to now, and uh, of course, the picture is very different. But as Taik Taik has shared with us, and this is going to be my main takeaway, there are things to celebrate no matter how bleak the picture is. Um, one silver lining that she mentioned that I really like is now people are more aware of their digital rights. They're more aware of VPNs and other such security technology, and they don't take those things for granted. Another thing to celebrate is that people are working more closely together now. So this challenge has brought them together, and there are um, more things to celebrate um, than um, I'm mentioning right now. Um, you need to follow the work that Taik Taik and her organizations are doing um, to see all of these um, small victories. But we also have to temper those expectations um, and these wins with also the reality of the situation that even if we may not be seeing what is happening in Myanmar on our news feeds or the front pages of our media, it's still important to know that these struggles and the fight for democracy is still ongoing. And so we in the international community, especially us in the Asia-Pacific region, need to be present and to support the community, the activist community in Myanmar who are fighting for their rights. The road is really tough ahead. And as Taik had mentioned, the future right now is bleak. But Together, there is still an opportunity there to sustain this movement. Uh, sustainability was another thing mentioned and that these things are so important. And we hope that this podcast is one way that we can help those efforts. We and PEGP have also discussed Myanmar in other episodes. So please head on over to engagemedia.org slash podcast to listen or to watch our previous episodes on Myanmar, as well as on uh, episodes about digital rights in general. We also invite you to go to engagemedia.org slash Myanmar to check out our efforts, um, our Engage Media's efforts in working in the Myanmar region. Um, for this episode, uh, this episode is available on Spotify, uh, iTunes, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the video version can be seen on cinemata.org. So again, thank you very much for joining us on yet another episode of PGP. And see you till the next episode.